world be different and better if we as individuals not only were willing to engage in conversation with people that had ideas that not only that we disagreed with, but repulsed us, but go beyond that and actually love, like, and hang out with somebody that has ideas that not only we disagree with, uh, but, but repulse us. Mm -hmm. uh, if we were willing to live like that as an individuals, which then would make us live like that as a collective, how would that make the world a different or better place? Well, I, I mean, first of all, um, I think it would make the world a, a harder place initially because we'd have to give up the egoic ideas of being right. Uh, and, and, you know, again, one of my pieces of work um, is I ask a question and the question is this, what's more important, life or identity? And people will always say life because it seems to make sense, right? Yeah. And I go, it's not, it's identity. And they go, you can't say that, it's ridiculous. People, you know, like people do anything they can to survive. It's, in, it's innate, it's instinctual. And I go, yeah. And people strap a bomb to themselves and blow themselves up. What's more important, identity or life? And the answer is identity. And when you try and take somebody's identity away, that they're embedded in, that they're invested in, they will die for that. They go to war in foreign countries for that. They strap bombs to themselves for that. They, they take a gun and shoot a school for that because their identity, knowing they're going to get killed. It's, it's, it, it's, you know, suicide by cop. They understand because identity is so deeply embedded. So your question presumes that we can get over that. Mm -hmm. That's the challenge. The challenge is not in having those conversations. The challenge is being willing to put my identity on hold. So the question for me is always, and it's the work that I do, is where is your identity? Who do you see yourself as? And when I ask those kinds of questions in my work, it is mind-blowing because I can take the person 50 levels deep and they'll realize, oh, my God. And that's what's kept me evolving is that I have not – before I fell off the mountain in 1990, um, I used to run these classes in Vancouver every Wednesday night and people could drop by. Uh, and there was one, you know, several people, but one particular lady was always sitting at the front and I worked with her privately and she just would always be, you know, oh, you know, she'd look up at me and obviously saw me in, in great esteem. And then I fell off the mountain and got smashed to pieces. And uh, when I finally uh, started working again, she started, she booked some appointments with me and came to see me. And then on a third appointment, she goes, do you know why I used to come to see you before? And I said, no, she goes, she goes, I was always in awe of you. She goes, you, I didn't, I'd never met anybody who knew themselves better than you. She goes, you had such power and, and you knew who you were. And I said, oh, okay. And she goes, well, the next part's a bit insulting. And I said, what's that? She goes, I don't think you know who you are anymore. <laughs> and, I said, and I said, that's interesting. And she says, you're not upset by that? And I said, no. I said, can I ask you a question? And she says, yeah. I said, do I seem more powerful or less powerful or the same? She goes, well, that's why I don't understand. You seem more powerful. I said, Joan, let me tell you something. She goes, what? I said, I've got no idea who I am. She goes, what do you mean? I said, because I'm not who I was five seconds ago. I get that now. I've given up that idea. I said, and it's a discipline that I have to do it every day, all day long, and remind myself, I have no idea who I am. So let's get curious about 
this aspect of me. Let's get curious about maybe I'm not that. What if I'm not this person? What if I'm not that person? Rather than looking at, because we look at, well, who am I? No, look at who you're not. Yeah, that, that, I mean, I'm not this. Yeah, that, I always think that's a restless pursuit, you know, or, 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 or uh, what? maybe not restless was the word I'm looking for, but uh, um, a, a pursuit without a payoff from, right. from the point of view of like, an eye can't come out of the socket and see itself. We can't ever exactly. truly see ourselves. So, the, so that idea that we should be is, is, a, is a fruitless waste of time. Yeah, and this is the reason that I believe deeply that I do, uh, Heisenberg's uncertainty principle says that when we observe a thing, a thing is changed, and so are we. And that's why I believe in therapy. That's why I believe in coaching. That's why I believe in getting help because nobody is objective in their subjective reality. And when you can find somebody to help you stand outside of yourself and observe yourself, then you are changed by that. And the world is changed by that. And that is magnificent. That's an exploration into yourself that is so expensive that you become the universe and you can embrace the racist and you can embrace the anti-Semite and you can embrace the liberal loony who's, you know, who everybody's wrong who doesn't believe what I am, or the right-wing loony who says, you know, everybody's wrong who doesn't believe what I am. So that, again, it's that expansive curiosity. It's a, but it's, you know, so, it's, a, it's a scary thing to do. And it's a scary absolutely. thing because, you know, you start getting to, into things that are subjective, which make a lot of people, especially in Western society, very nervous. Um, then you get into... Um, is the person as competent as Doug? There's probably a lot of guys out there that do what you do that screw people up, that are that are that claim that they can do what you do, but really it's just an expression of their own ego and 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 getting inside somebody's head. And then you you're competing with those guys, or they're around you and they're coloring it. And then there's the fact there's the fact that we attach doing work like that to kind of like woo. It's almost like yeah. black magic. Right. Yep. And so it's a it, it's got to be a strange place to be in the world where, you know, there's some people that truly understand and know what you do. A lot of them, especially high level people, because they get to a point where they have to. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, because they get everything and they're like, wait, this isn't I'm not I'm not feeling good and I got it all. So what am I missing? They have to have somewhere to go and then you're there for them. Uh, but my clients, because they go, I, I, I got I got a new Rolex, I bought a new house, I've got a yacht, I bought the wife a new set of boobs, and how come I'm still miserable? Yeah, but it, yeah, exactly. But it's it's uh, but we still see it as woo, and it still scares us a little bit. Partly because I think maybe there's people that do what you do that maybe aren't as curious, or they're not as humble, or they haven't done the study. Or they have, or they do oil salesman. Yeah, yeah, they do it for the wrong reasons, you know. So it's yeah, it's it's just a fascinating thing to live in that space to be colored by maybe people that aren't really delivering, you know. And this is this is the problem. I mean, I got out of the personal development world and and the seminar company that I had, and one of my friends said to me, "Why are you leaving this business?" And I said, "Because I'm sick of being in the recycling business." And he said, what do you mean recycling business? I said, I'm recycling people. These are people who went to Tony Robbins. They went to Harvecker. They went to, they, they did, uh, you know, whatever the program was. And it was the best thing since sliced bread. And they come to me and mine's the best thing since sliced bread. And then they'll rotate through some others. And, you know, 
but they don't understand that they're just collecting instead of instead of getting rid of and and i i can't bear it it's painful it's painful so i'd rather work with people who are at the place where they go okay i surrender i surrender my ego my identity isn't working anymore and i'm not going to admit it publicly but i'm willing to admit it to somebody who is genuinely knows how to get me through this path because this the, the work we do very simple it's the hero's journey. It is heroic, and you will meet the dragons along the way, and you will have to fight hard, and you will have a sense of being slayed, and you will want to return to the misery you knew because it was comfortable. And I warn every client I work with, there's going to come a point in our work together where you're going to turn around and you're going to go, maybe it was better before. And the answer is because it was comfortable, and this is uncomfortable. But discomfort is all, there is no growth in comfort. Your pain is the, 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 the seeds of your purpose. It is what brings you forward into the world. The reason that Jamie is so powerful and iconic in the world is not because he had the delicious silver spoon and, and everything was wonderful. It is the pain. And as I say, it is, you know, we are rocks that contain a diamond. And we have to be pushed against the wheel of life. And what most people have when they're pushed against the wheel of life is they recoil. But instead of recoiling, if you actually leaned into it, which is painful, it is ripping off your own flesh. But when you do that, only then can the diamond be revealed. And guess what? We only revealed one facet. Now you have to lean, again, lean in again from another side and another side. And that diamond is always being refined and polished. Yeah, we can't. I get it. We can't improve. We have to hug the cactus. Everything that is associated with improvement is typically associated with pain. Absolutely. Right. Like, you know, Absolutely. you know, even the, you know, the public speaking thing that we do that I know there's now a common part of my life, like getting to do that, getting comfortable doing that was one of the most painful, distasteful, disgusting things that I've ever had to do in my life. It would just, I would just have to do it and just think days, weeks before, like, I really don't want to do that. Now I do it all the time and I'm a bolder, bigger, better person, but everything's like that. Going to the gym is like that. Like literally, if you're not, you know, discomfort is how we know we're uh, growing. There's nothing in your life that got better through comfort. Yeah. We, you know, and, and yet we and yet we are compelled to look for comfort. Yeah, I mean, but the truth is, anything you know, I I, I was gonna, we've already gone for over an hour and a half, you yeah. know. And one of the things I want to talk about is is uh, the place of anger. Mm -hmm. Do you, the function of anger, which is that pain place again, and I think it's totally misunderstood um, because I you know I want to know what your perspective is, but. One of the things I say is that when you look at Mother Teresa, when, when you look at, not you, but a person looks at sure. Nelson Mandela, looks at Martin Luther King, you know, these are icons of, of change in the world. Um, and we look at them on the surface level, but we don't actually pay attention to these were really angry people. People go, you can't say that. They were angry. Of course I can. Because if they weren't angry, they wouldn't have got out of bed and done what they'd done. Martin Luther King knew he put his life on the line every time he stood out, spoke, spoke out. 
Um, Rosa Parks put her life on the line. She, you know, as what was it? Is it Cedric? Who said that uh, she was just a tired lady who wanted to sit down with her shopping bags? You know, and that's funny, but I think there's an anger, a frustration that this is the way it is, and I don't want to, I'm not willing to accept that anymore. Gandhi was angry with the British and he stood up against them. Martin Luther King was angry at the lack of civil rights and he stood up against that. Nelson Mandela was a terrorist. He was on the terrorist watch list. People forget that they don't because they only remember the Nelson Mandela who came out of jail. The Nelson Mandela who went into jail was a terrorist who his people put tires around people and set people on fire. This, you know, that is pretty much terrorism. Yeah. That anger. Do you see that being an icon in the world that there is a need to tap into anger, whether it's our own or others? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting question. I mean, I, I remember a friend of mine from Belfast once said to me, um, eventually every terrorist has tea at Buckingham Palace. Right. If you go on long enough, you're not a terrorist anymore. You're somebody with a cause, right? Yes. And, the, and you could say that the Palestinians are finally being viewed that way, you know, but barely. But there's finally starting to be, okay, these guys aren't going away, so this must be a cause, right? Right. Um, so I don't, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting concept because it, it's kind of, one of the things that you've got me thinking about that I'm really struggling to think about that's kind of coming up in our conversations and it's making me uncomfortable. So I'm, think, I, I th I'm saying to myself, I should probably, if it was any other person, I would throw this out the window. But because it's you, I'm, I'm like, I think I need to pull, I need to follow breadcrumbs a little bit. And, and, it, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it kind of ties to your, your anger statement or question, which is you kind of hint at this idea that pain uh, drives is, is, it's also pain. It's not just anger, it's pain. And you've been talking about that here and there in both of our conversations. And every time you talk about the pain part, maybe being related to why I'm me, I get really uncomfortable and I'm like, you know, maybe I should just get out of this conversation some way. And that's probably because part of me knows it's true. And nobody wants to talk about it. We want to think that we're successful because we're smarter than everyone. We work harder, whatever. If someone ever asked me before I met you, um, do you think pain has anything to do with the reason that you're, you've got certain platforms or whatever? I would say absolutely not. It's ridiculous. Don't talk to me. Since I've met you, I wouldn't say that anymore. And I would have meant it. I would have been being honest. Yeah. You know, so this goes, so I, would, I just wanted to, so that's something that I've, I've been starting, I thought about from our last conversation. You've tapped at it in this conversation. And every time you do, I go, but, then, <laughs> but, but I mean, I would have to be completely full of shit. You know, like I come from such a painful place. Yeah. It's, that's obviously me denying that, right? And I really don't want to look at how much that pain has contributed to what I have. I really want to say nothing, even though I inherently I know it's not true. So that goes to the anger thing. And this was this is probably the way I look at it. Doesn't mean it's the right way, but this is this is what I was thinking while you were talking is anger has a power to it in this way. It has it's it's it has a force. Anger can push things. It can push us internally to do things and it can push things around us. Anger is useful. Of course it is. But, yeah, but also it's toxic. Of course it is. Yeah. So um, if we... Again, it's not an absolute. Yeah. If, if it lives in us, 
it can make us sick. So it's it's a it's so you you know it's a very interesting thing. And this conversation has gone completely different than you know where I thought this conversation. Was going. <laughs> I thought this conversation was going to be all about like the iconist and the primal laws of blocks and natural laws of standing out and and all that kind of stuff. So this conversation is not what I thought it was going to be. But uh, but you know as far as the you know this concept of you know, were these guys angry? Yeah, because that they use that force internally and they use that force externally to get shit done, okay? But what makes them different is I think that people that live with anger inside them, it's not a force that is driving that they then put aside or is they use to move outside. If it's truly settled in them, and again, I'm trying to wrap my head around it. I don't know what I'm exactly trying to say. I do think that if you live in a state of anger, it makes you taut and it will eventually make you sick and kill you. That being Absolutely. said, and this is what I'm trying to reconcile, and I would have never thought about it until you brought it up, um, ever. I never crossed my mind in a million years what you just brought up, the idea that Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, uh, you could say Malcolm X was the most transparent of them all because he admitted he was pissed off. Okay. Sure. Um, Gandhi. Uh, yeah. I mean, anger is a huge part of what drives it. So how come those guys are able to use anger in this magical, beautiful way that improves and changes the world where with somebody else it might give them cancer? Oh, that for me is the easiest question in the world to answer. Right. Your anger is either a fuel, which it was in those people we talked about, for change, or it's a fuel for you being a victim of. That's it. You're powerless and you're a victim. That's why you're angry. Or you have felt powerless, you have felt like a victim, and you use it as a fuel for change because you don't want others to ever feel that way. That's the distinction. I know I walked around angry for a long time because I was a victim of being born in abject poverty. I was a victim of not getting the love that I needed for my mother, my father, the family members or whatever it was. I was a victim of being a freak, of being the only Jew in a Christian school and getting my ass kicked every day when people went like this. The Jews killed our Lord. I'm like, ah, <laughs> I met your Lord, how could I have killed him? Yeah. Like, uh, uh, you know, I, I was a victim of racism, you know, um, even though I'm a whitey. Um, you know, I, I understand those things. And I felt victimized by it. And I felt most victimized by being a weirdo, by being freaked, by being different, by not thinking the way everybody around me thought, ever. To this day, most people don't think like me, even the ones who surround me. That's okay. Because now that anger has become the fuel that says, I want to help you bring your freak to the surface because it contains the magic the world needs. Your conformity, the world doesn't need. There's plenty of that. But there's something uniquely magical, what I call your deep greatness that is within you, that is so unique. You Listen, you're not special. That's bullshit, but you are unique. You're not special. You're not worth any more than anybody else. And the special treatment is not there. And, and that's where we get into this feeling of, you know, I'm entitled because I'm special. No, you're not. But you are unique, and it's bringing your uniqueness forward is not a pleasant process. And that's why most people won't do it. They'll just conform and play along. And that is sad. Well, one thing that I've heard you talk about 
that I've never heard anybody say before. In fact, I've only heard the opposite for my entire life. Um, and you're the first person ever uh, in our previous conversation, and then you hinted at it in this conversation that I've heard you say, that I'm curious about because, again, it goes to this thing like I hear it and I'm like, and I just want to walk out of the room. Okay. And because it's different than what every other self-help, you know, even people, you know, not that we're talking about self-help, but, you know, I, I read a lot of books. It's, it's just different than any kind of way, perspective I've, I've ever heard in relation to success. Okay. And I, I don't want to use that word self-help because it's one of those horrible words that, you mm -hmm. know, stops a conversation. So forget you heard the word. But, uh, you know, uh, but what, what I'm curious about is this. Every time I hear something in relation to relationship to the word pain in relation to life it's always connected to uh why someone is uh, a failure why someone can't get along with others why someone has maybe couldn't achieve the things they wanted to do why someone is incomplete why someone is crazy it's always in relation to the pejorative you are the first person i've ever met that's ever said, and it, it's, it scares me, but it's also got me curious, so now I'm asking, um, that said, that says, I deal with the most successful people in the world that come to me for help, and the reason they're successful is pain. I've never heard, I've never heard that before. I've only heard the opposite. When I heard you talk about it in the first conversation, it made me really uncomfortable. When I've heard you hint at it in this conversation, it's made me incredibly uncomfortable. Again, you're the only person I ever, I've never read it anywhere else. I've only read the opposite. You're, you're doing poorly because of pain. And I hear you, and then I meet this guy that I connect with, that I agree with on a lot of things, and he's saying this thing that's counter, completely counterintuitive to how I think, that the reason you're successful is pain. Uh, explain that to me. So, the now you know we could go for another couple hours on this one alone but we'll just start here with understanding this in order to become successful let's use that term first successful you looked at the world you being whoever that is looked at the world and said okay what do i need to do what sacrifices do i need to make what disciplines do i need to have what things are, you know whatever it is and you decided to put certain things away certain parts of yourself away and unconsciously that pain drove you towards whatever you call success. Can you explain that mechanism to me? Yeah, I'll get to you in a minute. Okay. I'm going to do the overview first. Okay. Okay. All right. Then you got to success. Okay. And you went, shit, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. I'm dissatisfied. I've got two houses and I'm miserable. Um, I've, I've, you know, I can, I can date people who are 20 years younger than me. I'm still not happy. What's going on? And what's going on is the disenfranchised parts of yourself that you put away in order to be successful are what's keeping you from your fulfillment. So the work that I do is about bringing the, fulfill, the, the disenfranchised parts back so that you can have success and fulfillment. But in order to bring those back, we have to address the pain that made you push these things to the side. That's the key. So we have to address the things that are the pain. Now, your purpose is tied to the pain. 
Your success is not tied to the pain in that context, in other than that you had to, you were trying to overcome something. So the mechanism is this. Um, I am, so when I look at somebody, I always want to understand, okay, tell me, I want to know about your childhood. And they go, that was the past. Listen, mate, your past is not in the past if it's leaking into the present and about to pollute the future. Yeah. It's not in the past. And they go, but it is. Like, because look how successful I am and I grew up very poor. And they go, so what? I respect your success. I respect the discipline and the diligence it took to get to that. But that isn't what is actually driving it. What's driving it is a compensatory measure. And, I say, and I'll say, what do they say about the guy with the E-type jag that's a red E-type jag? And, and, you know, so depending on how old the person is, what's an E-type jag? But it's a long-hooded vehicle. What do they say about it? Oh, well, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a phallic symbol. Yeah, it's, it's, a, a, it's a response to a small dick. Okay, well, your success is a response to a small something. And that small something is your inadequacy, your pain from childhood when you can understand that pain that has in fact powered you it has made you go you know what i am never going to feel poor again i am never going to be hungry again i am never going to have people look down at me because i'm wearing secondhand clothes at school right i'm never going to have that again so i'm going to drive to success i'm going to drive to that because i want to compensate for this pain and you will compensate for the pain, but the pain has not gone away. You've disenfranchised it. And if you go to it, you will not only increase your success, but you will be able to embody your fulfillment because you'll realize then that your success is actually not for you. But can there be, well, can there be wealthy people that had advantage that didn't have, uh, you know, a painful childhood that also are driven to success by other forms of pain. So there's your point, right? So other forms of pain. So please understand, I'm using an example of uh, poverty or violence or whatever it might be. But you know, I've, I've worked with uh, multi-generational family wealth. I've worked with people who are 13th generation, actually one guy was 17th generation family wealth. Okay. So, literally royal connections in the UK um, who has enormous amounts of pain but clearly it's got nothing to do with money yeah but the mechanism is the same like maybe that person was driven to success with a different kind of pain absolutely that's the point so my work is incredibly subjective because my job is to find your pain that is the catalyst for your success and was the and so this is the split up it's the catalyst for your success but it was the catalyst for disenfranchising parts of yourself okay and so okay. we want to bring those parts back add them to the success so you can have not just success but fulfillment i get it so let me let me ask for a clarification so one of the things you're saying is that pain avoidance the avoidance of not being you know not having to deal with that pain by overcoming in some crazy area out here uh, can be pain avoidance can be a major driver of success. Is that a correct assessment? Of what uh, pain avoidance can be a massive driver of success. Okay, absolutely. Um, but it is destined to failure. No, no, I go that goes to my next question. 
which yeah. is this. Are you saying that um, once you've lived this life of pain avoidance and then you get it all, okay, even if you have great kids and a great wife and you have everything, does getting it all um, then, because now you have it all and the feelings are still there, does that then reveal, does that then cause the pain to rear its head because now you have no place to go? That's exactly what happens. So when we listen to, uh, you, know, you know, if you pay attention to people like a Amy Winehouse or um, uh, uh, Jim, what's his name? Comedian, comedy guy, Jim, oh, I'm a brain fucking. Or Jim, Jim Belushi for sure. Okay. Um, but he's dead. I'm thinking about one who's alive. Uh, <clears throat> Canadian uh, comedic actor from Mask and all those other. Okay, movies. Jim Carrey. Uh, Jim Carrey um, yeah. is a great example. People think he's lost the plot because he's finally saying things that, you know, some of us who think deeper understand, which is, and one of the things he said is, I wish everybody could have the level of success I had so they'll realize it's not going to fix anything. Wow. I love that vulnerability because it doesn't. And as a result, he went into therapy. As a result, he's taken up meditation and, and, and Buddhist practices and he paints and he does his art and he doesn't give a shit about the image anymore because he's actually lost the identity. Again, identity. And this is where the pain is. <clears throat> we build an identity around the, the, in order to protect the pain. You actually protect the pain, and it's the pain, the pain you're protecting is what you have to reveal. When you stop protecting it, it actually sets you free. But we protect it. So I'm never gonna let anybody see that I, that I, that I cry. Well, then you're always gonna be stuck. I'm never gonna let anybody see that I feel insecure. Then you're always gonna be stuck. I am insecure. Dolph Barron is insecure. All the time, of course not. But before I go on stage, I'm usually in some level of anxiety. <laughs> yeah, I've been speaking for 35 years. Yeah. Right? So, um, <clears throat> I get, you know, when I was single, I had a horrible time walking across a room to ask a girl out or to ask her for a drink, right? Because my insecurities would come up. I had to deal with that. I had to face that. But that's not gone away. It's still there. And, can, and I, because I acknowledge that, it can rear its head any single time. And I know what it is. But if I deny it, then I become bravado. I become image. And I stop being me. Okay, so that concept of pain being a driver of success, which is very counterintuitive to everything in the media, how we're taught, whatever, which is probably a way to keep it hidden. Uh, <clears throat> is that something that you came across after working with a diversity of people? Or is it something that you read somewhere or learned from somebody? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think, uh, I, well, working backwards, I have found, you know, you and I are fascinated by patterns. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a pattern that I have seen over and over and over again. So, yes, it is definitely a pattern. There's thousands of people that I've worked with over the years. That's always the pattern. And, and so, again, that, pat that pain is the catalyst for enormous success, but it's also exactly the opposite. It is the catalyst for enormous failure. So it is, I am a victim of, it's the fuel for I'm a victim of and I'm powerless, or it's the fuel for I will not be a victim of and I'm just going to create all this success. And it's that binary to you? Absolutely. Wow.
Absolutely. So for me, I, that really is that binary. However, uh, when you say, where did I learn it? I, and I've written about this and spoken about this many times, is that when I was a little kid, like I said, I was a very weird and different kid, but one of the things that was fascinating to me was to look at my mom, look at my aunt, who was probably the best looking person I knew, my aunt, who was single, um, who always looked spectacular. She wore beautiful clothing. She was piss poor, but saved her money so she could buy a Chanel blouse and wore it with a, with a really cheap skirt, but nobody noticed it was a cheap skirt because of the Chanel blouse. And she taught me these ideas around understanding how to put fashion together. She was actually my fashion person. Sure. Uh, she, she was magnificent. She was attractive and she was magnificent at pulling attention. And, and she really got that piece really well down. And I would look at her and I would look at my mom and I would look at my uncle and I would look at the friends of those people. And I was fascinated with how can these people, particularly my uncle, who was the smartest person I know, how come these people are so smart and they do dumb things that I can see where it's going? That my aunt was dating the same men with a new face. I was fascinated by that pattern. And what I realized was the driver was pain. So that, that was a conclusion you mostly came to from through observation, not through something you learned or read. Because I've never read it, and I read a lot of books. I always read the opposite. So it's just very interesting. It's a. It's, it's not a, from what I read. Certainly, this, uh, there was some uh, resolution for me in it, uh, and, and and confirmation in it in young in Young's work uh, uh, around the hero's journey, uh, okay. around that that work. Um, certainly, that became uh, supportive. But it was originally that original thought was why are smart people doing dumb things just blew my mind and I wanted to know. And what I realized was, so I'll ask, I, so there's a question I asked on Facebook 10 years ago. And the question was this, what is the primary driver of every human being? I mean, I have my own view of what I think that is, but I want to hear what you can say. <laughs> yeah. The subjective primary driver of every human being, so not the universal, the subjective primary driver of every human being is their original pain. That's hmm. the primary driver. I don't even know that I understand that. I bet you didn't think when we started this interview, it's turned into the Jamie Mustard. I'm interviewing Dove Barrett. Okay. Thank you. Um, what defined for me in, primary primary, for, for very in practical terms, uh, very objective, non-woo, practical terms. Uh, what is original pain? What is the definition of original pain? The thing you most wanted that could, you could not get. And are there, ever, are there ever human beings that are given all the right things and don't have that? The, no. The, the no, because pain, so here's the thing. Courage is subjective and so is pain. Okay. There are things that I do that you go, oh my God, you're so courageous. And I go, no, I'm not. That's just who I am. And the things that you do that I go, oh my God, you're so curious. You go, no, that's easy for me. So courage is subjective, but so is pain. So I use this, I did this on stage many years ago, where I said, you know, I was trying to explain this, 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 this piece, which is, as you said, it's difficult for people to comprehend because people don't want to look at that thing. And I said, put your hand up if you had a shitty childhood. 
and I picked somebody out of the audience, come up on stage, and I said to somebody else, put your hand up if you had a fantastic childhood. Put your hand up. Great. Throw them on stage. Right? So there are now two people who looked, couldn't look more opposite. We start drilling down. We find that this person's success or failure is always based on their pain. It never failed. But the pain was different subjectively. So, you know, what really, and, you know, of course, and this is the other problem with this, is that when we actually begin to grasp this, we go into projection mode. As soon, like you said, you know, you want to recoil. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, I don't want to go there, so we're going to protection mode. If I can get them past protection mode, which in my private work, I get people way past that. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. I, I get it. And get them past that protection mode, they go, oh, okay, well. So one of the guys I, I was working with, you know, his pain, like, you know, my mother really loved me. My dad was hardworking, blah, 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 you know, lived in multiple countries, learned to speak multiple languages. So I know right away some of his pain was, that he didn't get to bond and create a community because he was moved a lot. So I know that that's as a basic psychology tribal piece. He didn't get to bond with friends en enough. Okay, I got that. So that's going to be one piece of it. Okay. But deeper into the mother who loved him, and suddenly he crashes and realizes, oh my God, I was my mother's husband. When my father wasn't around, she poured her emotions into me, and I was spousified. Mm -hmm. so, so then I look at him and I say, so you date women who you have to save because you had to save your mother, and when you do, they ignore you because when your father came home, your mother would ignore you, and he just weeps. Wow. Wow. He had a perfect childhood until wow. he didn't. Wow. And then he could see... Oh my God, this is what I've done in my business. This is how I work with my clients. Yeah, it's driven you to success. Very successful. But guess what? Now he's in the top 5% in his industry. He was doing well before. Now he's in the top 5% in his industry because he went to that pain. He's written a book about it. It's become the formula for what it is that he does in his work. Have, do you ever have a phenomenon happen with your clients where um, it's like, somebody that it's like they it's like going on the biggest loser and they lose the 150 pounds and but then you see them two years later and then they're back to being three four hundred pounds like do you ever have situations with your clients where they have the, they have the breakthrough and then they revert so that was that's what i was saying about getting out of the recycling business ah. i saw that all the time it drove me insane okay with my private clients it doesn't work like that because they're in a contract with me for a year. They literally fly into my city. We're, they're in my home for 24 hours. And that, when I say 24 hours, we're not talking about naps. We're talking about we are- I, I remember from our previous call, yeah. Right. So, and then they spend two days in semi-isolation from the people they know. And then they go back into their world and we work together for a year in integrating everything they've learned. So, they, they, you know, they want to slide back, not consciously, but they want to slide back. And my job over that year is to keep pulling them back into, here's the truth, See, here's where your power is, here's your truth, here's your, here's the so you're building up the muscle over a year so that they can maintain it. Yeah. And what, when you do that work, what do you call yourself? Are you a coach? Are you a, a therapist? Are you a, do you have a, a term for, for what that is? 
Yeah, the, the, the person who has been marketing me for years has always asked me the same question. Um, I mean, people call me a coach. They call me a mentor. I am trained as a therapist back in the day. Um, what I do is not coaching. It's not therapy. It's not mentor. It, it's something else. I don't know of a title for it. Maybe the, the guy who wrote, I can <laughs> give me a title or help me with a title. Because we've never found one that actually says what it is um, because it is profoundly different than anybody. And that's why I said the work that I do, you know, people talk about Simon Sinek, start with why. And I say, yeah, start, but that's not finish. Yeah, I mean, why was, yeah, I'm a fan of him in that book, but I also don't think that, you know, when I, I, one of the things I teach about in my work is you can have your why and you can put your why out there, but it's not totally true that it's just your why. It's your why or your, the result you achieve. People will respond to the result you're promising them if it corresponds to their emotional concerns or their, their desires or needs at that moment, right? So it's, it's, a, it's only half of it to say it's your why. It's your why or the result you achieve. Also, and this is where my work comes in in relation to somebody like Start With Why or Simon Sinek, is um, if you don't say it based on kind of like getting into my work, the primal laws of blocks, if you don't say it big enough visually and bold enough, and repetitively enough to others and to yourself doesn't mean anything. Yeah, you have to say, good. yeah. So, so you know, I get often asked, like, what? Are you, how does why relate to your work? I'm saying you can come up with the perfect why that will motivate others and get them to act. But if it's not 20 feet high and it's not repeated a thousand times, it's not going to mean anything. So yeah. I teach the primal laws of how bigly, how how big and how bold and how repetitively. Do you need to say something in whatever medium we're talking about for it actually to be noticed and then take hold in the mind and endure? So, yeah. So, so yeah, we didn't and, really talk too much about my work, but. No, and that is actually where we're going to end this show because on leadership and loyalty, you can hear Jamie and I discussing in depth what his work is around iconists and what it takes to be an iconist and using these big bold blocks to make you a better leader to make you better in business and to to have the world pay attention to you um in this economy of attention uh jamie we we have to finish but you know you and i could probably talk for a couple of weeks like this and, and just on all kinds of tangents and uh maybe some people will write to us and go let's put a workshop on and <laughs> you and i will just lead that workshop because we could go to some powerful places I would love it, and I know what your title is, okay? I've come up with what Good. your icon is. I might need to come up with a prefix for it, but you know what you are? You're a mechanic. Huh, that's interesting. You're a mechanic. That's there might be a type of a living mechanic, a life mechanic, a mental mechanic. That we could have a prefix, but you could just be, you're a mechanic. That's, that's very interesting. Yeah. So as, as we finish, I, I gave my friend a title. My friend and I, so I've been working out for, with, with, he's been my training partner for about 15 years, but like we've both been working out for over 40 years. And we've designed all kinds of training programs together that he now takes in the world. That's what he does. Um, and he was like, you know, I'm not a personal trainer. No, you're not. He understands the body, uh, the, 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 how the body works in ways people don't understand. And I said to him, stop calling yourself a personal trainer. It's cheap. It's not what you do. And he goes, well, what am I then? I said, you are a somatic mechanic. That's what you are. 
but not somatic. Maybe not somatic, but that's what you are. Like when I, now that I've kind of gotten, heard what you do, and I know we're ending, um, I, you're getting inside, you're getting under the hood, you're getting into the engine, you understand the parts because of all the different experience you've had with a thousand different engines or 20,000 different engines. You're a mechanic. We could have a prefix, but that's what you do. I'm really excited to hear what you come up with as a prefix. Okay, all right, I'm gonna work on it. And I really do, <laughs> I really do hope that someday, I'm gonna put it out there that you and I get to do a workshop together. Oh, absolutely, I am, I am definitely on board with that. Um, so as we close, I wanna to say to you, uh, dear listener, dear viewer, thank you for, for tuning in to us. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this conversation. I hope with every fiber of my being, that it has sparked your curiosity. And if there were moments where you wanted to recoil and resist, that's the place you need to look. That's where the real power is. It's in the things you don't want to look at. I know that you were probably listening to us and nodding your head and, and oh yeah, about all kinds of things. And that's great, that's lovely, that's wonderful, we like it. However, my challenge to you is to think about the things that you went, hmm, that was a bit of a nasty taste in my mouth or that kind of poked me in the eye a little bit. Those things that felt like you had the resistance to, that's probably got the most juice for you. That's probably got the thing that you need most. As we finish up, Jamie, please tell our listeners, our viewers, where they can find out more about The Iconist, you, your work, all your fabulous resources. And by the way, go to this site, look at this, because this guy is a master and i really mean that i don't say that about a lot of people he is a master he understands his work in ways that you will blow your mind you gotta go there tell us all about it jamie it's true and it's an honor coming from you i truly mean that but um you can go to the iconist.org that's being that's about to go through a big overhaul now that my book is coming out so i have a book that's available for pre-order everywhere all of uh, call the iconist, the art and science of standing out based on primal laws. Um, and that, if you just Google my name, Jamie Mustard, Jamie Mustard book, the iconist book, uh, it'll come up in a thousand different places. It comes out October 1st. Um, so that is the heart of my work. So that's the place to go to understand the business side of what, uh, how you can benefit from standing out, the social side of standing out. Uh, but yeah, the iconist.org is a great place to kind of check me out and get it out. But the book, um, it, it, you, and you can go on that site. Say you can't afford the book. Uh, you can go on my website and you can email me. And I'm, I care about people. And so despite the fact that I'm very, very busy, you'll hear back from me. So if you can't afford the book, shoot me an email. Fantastic. Yeah. Jamie, I hope you'll stay with us to the end as we sign off, but I want to say to you, dear listener, stay curious, my friend, stay curious, particularly about the iconist. I'm out. <laughs>